Hi everyone. Welcome to the next fire chat with my friend Kevin Martin. We are live. Hope you can join me and also tune in and drop some comments, ask some questions. And I'm warning you, this is going to be a rattling cage type of conversation. <laughs> so I'm not even joking. Tune in because we're going to dive deep into those topics that we don't normally talk about. So um, before we begin, I want to say welcome, Kevin. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Okay. Uh, great to have you. So just going to quick introduction for you guys uh, from uh, uh, so a, a quick introduction for Kevin. Uh, he is a transactional analyst and metaphysics practitioner who specializes in narcissistic abuse. Oh, my God. Did I say the word narcissistic abuse? Oh, my God. What did I just do? I think I opened the can of worms. All right. He is a he specializes in narcissistic abuse. Um, sorry about my excitement. I just couldn't contain myself. Um, and he also specializes in the hero's journey. And these two topics alone can probably be enough, give us enough, you know, enough to talk about for hours. So, and he has a website, con uh, conjunct. I can't say that, Kevin. How do you conjunct say it? Conjunctio. You put the Mr. J. So, conjunct conjunctio. Yes. Uh, which I will also add his website. He has a newly newly refurbished <laughs> website and amazing blogs and great content so i will put the link in the on the top once we finished and uh yeah let's dive in and first question kevin what kind of experience life experience or what kind of what kind of um life one must live to get to get to the level of you know work that you have done so we want to hear a little bit about your story if you don't mind and then we can dive into your what you do as a as a therapist uh, thanks Susan. thanks for having me on um yeah it's a uh, very long complicated journey um i um i only sort of really really realized i there was a part of me that was very narcissistic me my, myself but then also I, I ended up in constantly being in relationships with i would say either narcissistic or borderline women um and it wasn't until about 10 years ago i was in my sort of really long-term relationship when i come out of that just really confused totally um disorientated didn't really know what was going on and that's when i started looking into things like emotional blackmail and um emotional abuse so and then from the whole journey from then on in, started looking at my own family dynamics, that background, the emotional um, uh, underdevelopment, let's say the polite word, if, if we want to use that, that, that sort of word. Um, and then just also just this whole um, new world, this underlying world of narcissism, borderlines, arrested development, which then led me into um, training as a therapist into transaction analysis, which is an offshoot of objects relations, which is Freudian uh, uh, psychoanalysis. So it's, it's much more based around the actual transactions between individuals. So you're looking out for what we talk about is there's a parent, parent, parent ego, there's an adult ego and there's a child ego. So the parent ego is the 
the parental beliefs, uh, cultural beliefs, um, in a way, the uh, family system, which is sort of like um, given to you as, as the child. The adult is what you're looking for. You're looking for this concrete adult functioning, um, stable um, ego, because um, the ego basis job is to um, also work with the environment, but also work with your idea of reality and fantasy. And the child, the child ego state is the delusional state. It's the child where the child has to make up its own reality as a child based on the attunement with the parent. So, for instance, um, a lot of so we think if we think of the people pleaser, where the parent will be um, misattuning or not really looking after the child, the child will believe there's something wrong with the child. So it becomes the delusion in the, within the child ego state becomes I'm not good enough, and then it tries to compensate in the world in all their relationships, becoming a people pleaser or the codependent, as we say, that sort of aspect. So mm-hmm. I spent four years training as a transaction analyst, came out as a counsellor. I had one more year to go. I decided to stop because the politics of mental health, I cannot <laughs> explain to people in terms of how political the mental health system is and how um, intolerant it is in terms of especially being a white male unfortunately it's a radical thing to say but um white heterosexual male in the mental health is a, a rare commodity these days in terms of that training aspect and i found it very difficult with all the very political edges uh, put onto people training and what they expected of you and how they were expected you to see the world but during this process what i also realized was most therapists most training doesn't understand narcissistic abuse. Mm-hmm. They certainly don't understand the idea of the red pill, blue pill concept. This mm-hmm. idea of being awake, spiritually aware, seeing the world and not believing everything you're told. I mean, that was really a shocker for me within that whole community where they just didn't question the reality at all. And that, mm-hmm. that was in the four years of my whole training. So, yeah. then, I, so yeah. then I got into a lot of Jungian stuff i've got into a lot of young and a lot of alchemical stuff now in terms of uh seven stage processes of alchemy as well yeah amazing thank you so much for the overview of your history um just let's open a window because when i met you you said to me um i never forget you really called me out you said to me you got holistic psychotherapist on your title did you even do your group therapy like what is that and you said you didn't do your group therapy and you said to me, take that title off right now, you said to me, because you've got to go through that. Um, yeah, before. And I was like, oh, my God, he's calling me out. And then I thought, I need, to, I need to understand his world. I need to know what this kid is about because, you know, nobody called me out like that, you, like you did. And, um, yeah, let's, let's start with what this, this whole thing is about because me and you, you know, we always talk about these uh, therapists who just kind of go through the motions of the bite the book learning. They do a degree in psychology. They do you know, whatever studies, education they do in counseling and mental health, whatnot. But like you always say that they, they don't even do their work. They don't know how to work with clients, let alone, you know, if, if someone's not done their work, how can they help others? How can they even, you know, be there for others? in these, uh, you know, mental health issues. And that really, really interests me because 
what one must do you know let's go into that group work and uh, talk to talk about so all therapists psychotherapists should go through a very intense work doing their own work right this is what i'm understanding so my training you do your individual therapy once a week with mm -hmm. transaction analysis and then also every month you would do two group sessions for an hour and a half and an, and an hour Saturday and Sunday. So the ideal group is to work with your projections. Mm -hmm. So it's just an open free for all. And then if someone brings something up and says something like, yeah, you annoyed me last week because of this. So the idea is to thrash out who I represent to that person in that group in that moment. And, and you know, take it away from the personal, as in, as in who do I represent? Which, which image am I to you? And the idea is to work through the projections. So ideally, after four years of group, you really shouldn't have any projections left. Mm -hmm. You should have worked through them all, and you should be able to um, tolerate the ambiguity or who you think the person is and what's happening, happen, happening in the present and not going back to being triggered by the person from the past, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But what yeah. I found... What I found was, for instance, if I tell you my, so my first year, there's probably 25, 30 people in the group and that gradually diminished. Mm -hmm. I think nine of us finished all the way through, but of the nine and two others, but of the nine, six of them still stayed in their group. They didn't shift out of the group. They didn't challenge the group. They didn't learn, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're not separating from the group, if you're not challenging members of the group, then how can you learn? that aspect of yourself, the fear of separating from the group, the fear of abandoning yourself from a protective unit. And as you said, if you're not doing all this work, and also to think that a lot of the time someone would bring something up on the news, something was happening in the news, and you'd say, well, why do you believe that? Surely it could be something else. Yeah. But they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't think about it. They would just yeah. dismiss it. And then, as you said, if, you, if you're dismissing the whole part of reality, but then how yeah. can you work with somebody else who sees or has their experience or their concept is, is totally different to yours? Yeah, I love this. I love this. And this specific group work that you're talking about is specifically designed for the training um, therapists, right? Therap the training counsellors, psychotherapists, encompasses all these uh, people who want to work in this talking therapy aspect of this no, no not all of them i mean i i would say for for you to be an effective counselor or therapist you would need to do group work because as i said it's about your projections and yeah. learning to deal with difference um how people see difference in the world how you can work in a group with that difference yeah and and not hold on to your limited ideas and beliefs and also the, the tutor obviously was authority figure so it's also having to work with the authority figure controlling the group as well so yeah. i just found um and my my attitude was you should be using this for yourself if ultimately if you decide not to you lose even though you haven't really pushed yourself or done a lot of work you've lost in the long run even though you think you've probably gained in the long run yeah yeah this is great can we just um I'm just seeing Roy, one of our members, he just said, I find it hard to believe that psychologists don't do self-work. Oh, my God, Roy, you have no idea. This is like one of the hottest topics that we always dive in with Kevin. And, yeah, they don't. And let's just kind of 
bring it out in the open and bring it to the light that that's why a lot of you guys out there, uh, especially with these unprecedented times, I can't say that word, but there you go, uncertainties, right? Let's say you might feel like you need some level of support, some kind of, uh, you know, emotional support from a psychologist and you can just hire someone that you think, you know, by going to a psychologist or therapist, counselor, any of these, you know, titles, you might think you're getting a, a good deal. But unfortunately, there are a lot of, lot of people out there who serve in this space that they haven't done the work themselves. They've literally learned the ropes by the book. And uh, it's very, very difficult to go deep with into your own work when you have a psychologist, you know, who's never done a deep work within themselves. So this is like one of the biggest things we just kind of want to throw it out here for everyone. Uh, please be careful. Please make sure you wet the person, go into it, you know, look all the feedbacks and also like stay in tune with yourself and go with your gut feeling because we tend to sense um, if the person is right for us, right, Kevin? Because you always say like the energy because you, you, I know you turn down people. Like you don't actually work with people, not everyone that comes to you because you always say that like um, I remember, I'm going to be really vulnerable here because um, this is the group that we can talk about anything, right? I'm trusting you guys. Look, I'm putting my vulnerability in your hands. So one time I dealt with something very, very serious in my life about, uh, a year ago and Kevin was there uh, throughout this supporting me through this really horrible time and I remember I said to Kevin like I need your help I need you to call me out on my BS like you did in the past and he said to me no he said I'm not the one to work with you and I was like what do you mean what do you mean he said no you need to go and find someone else so that's the level that he works at and you always turn people down you said no so I think this is a really uh, great um, trait that a lot of psychologists wouldn't do because I also am connected with many psychologists on Facebook that I chat regularly. You know, sometimes I, you know, kind of we have this concept, you talk about other concepts and uh, and the most common one that they always talk about is that they have clients who comes back to them again and again, like four, five, six, seven years and they don't really go deep. They just kind of, you know, and it becomes more about the money. It becomes more about the person. And, and the person who comes to the, the therapy becomes about them holding on and, and it becomes another escapism, another distraction, another uh, way of not doing the work. And obviously the therapist getting the money, the income, and then the person is also getting what they want, which is the distraction, not really wanting to go in deep in their work. So let's hear your experiences, Kevin. What made you decide, like, okay, I'm not going to take everyone on? Can I, I just wanted to ask also, I think it's really important, the person who asked the question when he said he can't believe people do self-work. So I think it's really important to understand what are we saying by self here? Because therapists, they would do work on their persona they would do work on their false self in terms of their social construct, as in the one that works in the system. So when I say the self, I mean, I mean your true authentic self. I don't even think most, from my experience, most of them ain't even in touch with that aspect of themselves, never mind understanding what it is. So 
when I so I correct myself when I say they don't do self work. I think they can do a lot of work on their persona, but works within the system and the the, the grid we're in. But then that's not who you are. That's not your true self. The true true work, all of that has to go to yeah. you know them layers of defenses and everything else in place. That persona, that social construct, in a way, has to go away for you to go back and find out who who that true authentic self. That abandoned child, if you want to call it, we get to some of the terms, the inner child that's been abandoned. We have to go back and find that again mm-hmm. and and in a way nurture it based on its true authentic self. So when I say don't do self-work, I say they'll do a lot, they'll do you've got everyone in a way sort of collaborating to keep this system in place, which is and then when you sort of say to them, we live in a narcissistic system and you're adapting to that system, well, then that's not that's not something we should all be working towards, surely. Yeah, so they work on the image that fits in with the environment, with the construct, with the everything else that, you know, helps them stay in that position, in that image, in that, you know, space. Um, well, that, that, that's, the, that's, that's what we've got with psychiatry. So psychiatry, every time everyone's anxious or everyone's feeling depressed, so I look at that now on the spiritual aspect where that, that's your true self calling out. It's sort yeah. of saying, look, there's something wrong here. I'm trying to get your attention. So I'm anxious or I'm depressed because you're not living your the true life you're meant to live. Yet we live in a society where then we dull it out and we want to get rid of it. We want to get rid of this, uh, our, our true, instead of having to work through it, the suffering to get to the other side, yeah. the whole mental health facility is is made, is constructed to, to make you function better within the system, which is narcissistic in itself. Yeah. So when you say when the uh, when we experience like psychosis and other kind of mental symptoms that's just your soul screaming at you saying hey you know i'm done with you you know there you know i it's 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 a craving it's it's a more like not craving it's like urgency to connect with yourself deep within yourself right and um what do we do we numb prescribed prescribed medications and kind of the system wants to numb these people because it's also quite a a bit of a threat right because imagine dealing with those with that level of um that level of you know people amount of i mean what what needs to happen to deal with such level of um, outburst you know like now look at this now we're hearing suicide suicides we're hearing anxiety spiked depression and that's, and that's and that's all because the social mask which is quite funny that they've got us all wearing masks is breaking down that persona is breaking down it's no longer the things we used to use to work within the society, so you say your job or the, gym, the the functional things in a way, are no longer there to help us keep that fragile mask in place. Therefore, it's collapsing. And then, and then you're seeing all the neurosis. You're seeing the behaviour. You're seeing attacking other people wearing masks. You're seeing all this, you know, shopping and getting getting all this food and, and toilet roll and everything else from the shop. So you're seeing the neurosis breaking down, which is what you would expect if you were working with a client at a deeper level. Yes. That, that, you know, that level of neurosis is, you know, the ego defences have gone away and then you're actually working with that vulnerable child, which in a way is neurotic. And when yeah. you talk about psychosis, so Jung talks about on a hero's journey, crossing over the threshold will feel like a psychosis. Yes. Because if you think about it, you've, psychosis means being out of touch with reality. 
So when you've crossed the threshold, you, you've, you've, you're no longer in touch with your false reality. Yeah. So it feels like a psychosis. It feels so, like a, a confusion or disorientation. Yeah. So the um, mask rule, you know, the we've we got to wear the mask. It's almost like it's the last attempt to keep the masks on. But behind the masks, people are breaking down like never before. Yeah. If you think of it, it's like a facilitate and hold it in place, if that makes yeah. sense. And, so, yeah. and then no, no one can see what's really going on behind the mask but the other thing that's really important especially when you get into deep therapy uh you get into non-verbal communication so non-verbal communication is the first two two years of the child's development with the parent and and when you're getting into deep counter transference and transference you're looking for the non-verbal cues you're looking for the twitches the blinks the giggles the things like because they're the things in a way when you when you explore them that will break down some of the other defences as well because it's, it's very unconscious. It's just a natural reaction. So in a way, they're muzzling that as well. Yeah. It, you know, our natural instincts or picking up nuances in when people say things as well. So in a way, it's another way of uh, stopping authentic communication. Yeah, like when you catch, when we're having a casual conversation, you always catch like, what's that giggle about? Or what what was that, that you know, you said it in this way or you said it in this tone or, or all these little things, right? Um, yeah, and and the tone and the tone and the thing you're talking about is what we call the ulterior transaction. So you'll have one level, you'll have a social transaction, but then underneath you'll have the ulterior transaction. So the ulterior transaction can be much stronger than the social transaction. Like if you're in a if you're in a long term relationship and say you were going out with somebody, and someone was digging at you, the person with you might not even know you've been dug had a dig at, but it's way it's been said to you as much more of an, it's a, it's a known way of you two communicating where someone who isn't used to that dynamic won't, won't even recognize what's going on. Absolutely. So it's like, um, when you hang out with couples, when you hang out with couples, they have this weird dynamic between them. That it's like a secret language that with the one eye gaze or a little hand moves or the body language, they kind of know what's going on between and you wouldn't even pick it up because obviously you're not in that dynamic and they built this we, I mean I call it entanglement but um yeah I know what you well, mean in transaction analysis we call it games so it's, it's actually called a game so it's a game of into ulterior transactions which people constantly play yeah. based on the drama triangle so the yeah. game's based on the drama triangle so as you said um a little wink or something might just mean come and let's go or something like that and someone's just totally missed it and someone's left so all all little all little uh, transactions and structures to keep that relationship in place to keep it yeah. working keep it functioning yeah it's like um years ago i i used to know a lady um she would we used to work together i'm talking about years years ago and um yeah, we used to work together and she was a very calm, lovely woman. And then as soon as her husband would come and pick her up from work, she would behave very strangely, so strangely. And um, the next day to come back and say, oh, did you see, did you catch? He did this. He just looked at And I, I have no idea what you're talking about. But like you said, they have this very dysfunctional communication. It, it doesn't have words. It's literally just the body language. And that would give her anxiety. That would give her, like, she'll start panicking. She'll start, like, because she was in an abusive relationship, obviously, but obviously it, very hard for others to observe and catch it. 
every time the husband comes into the room, uh, she get all these uh, shakes, uh, anxiety, palpitation. Her heart will go, uh, you know, fast. So that's 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 your classic example of walking on eggshells, isn't it? In terms of right. being in a narcissistic abuse where you're terrified to make a step to crack the shell. So yeah, exactly. So let's go back to your uh, one of the most important, also the one that I'm interested in, the, the dynamic, the triangle. I love that concept, actually. Um, trauma triangle. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so Cartman, uh, he, he, he introduced this idea where we're in this triangle where there's a persecutor, a victim, and a rescuer. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, all, we'll all pick um, a starting point on the triangle. Some people stay in that position all their life, if that makes sense. Okay, hold on. Let's let's break it down for anyone who's never heard this triangle before. So we are. You're saying we are always in a triangle dynamic in our lives. In 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 in, in a, any sort of social dynamic relationship, <clears throat> we would we would take one of these roles up in terms of the dynamic. And we kind of like, for example, take, for example, how can I say? Mm, give me, I'm trying to give example that. One person can be the the savior in one dynamic, but then the same person can be the vic- victim in the other, and then so on and so forth. Sure. So that's the idea of the game. So if you so if you think of um, say let's say a bully, a bully will always be um, the persecutor and the victim. But then if the victim eventually has enough courage and switches the game and and actually becomes the persecutor. The, the persecutor will become a victim, yeah. and then likely, likelihood, a third party will come in and rescue the persecutor, who's now the victim. And we see this in politics all the time. You yeah. know, you've got this constant persecution from one side, and then when the other side strike backs, so they play the victim, and then the rescuer comes along, and you just so the, so what you what you're left with with the game is your underlying script. So if you think of the victim who's being constantly persecuted, even when they stand up for themselves, they're left, they're left behind because someone else comes and rescues the victim. Mm-hmm. So your underlying script would be, say, no matter what I do, it's not good enough. Or even if I stick up for myself, people leave me. And that's an unconscious belief, but you're playing it out within the dynamic. Yeah, I've seen this dynamic with couples who have a mutual friend. Mm. So there's this two couples. Right. I mean, look, there's this couple and then there's this friend in the middle and that's a triangle and they have this dynamic. I, I've observed this one before and I've observed also a mum, daughter and a grandchild dynamic. The same. Um, <clears throat> I've seen it in, um, again, many different, you know, in friendships also. Like if there's three friends together, there's each of them always assume this role for some reason. It's just crazy to observe. Um yeah, in many but, but, but if but if they didn't if they didn't assume them roles, that would that would, they would not be friends. Yeah, of course. This is that, the... that, that that dynamic that game wouldn't work. So if I take my 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 myself as an example, once I stop playing my game, once I stop being on a people please or stuff, them games all stop. Yes. So that's when I say to you when we have conversations and we talk about people being dead, you know, I've been red pilled and I'm enlightened. And I'm like. Are their relationships the same as they were? And if they are, you're like, there's no way in a million years this person's woken up. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, every, everything would change. Mm-hmm. Because so your, 
yeah, your um, your idea of waking up is when all these dramas dissolved and uh, the game changed basically for the person, and the person no longer in that triangle, no longer in in a triggered, you know, way. They don't trigger. Well, they they you know. I mean, in my in my in my way of uh, saying is like entangled in any any of those relationships or dynamics in friendships in close you know romantic relationships parents children all of this so you're no longer entangled in those dynamics you're kind of just completely cut away and they dissolve well yeah because Jung talks about so it's funny when you I listened to you talking to the professor the other day this idea of the ego dissolving and um Jung talked about the ego dissolvement was when you lose projections. So you're no longer in these games. You don't yeah. have to play them anymore. You can, you can, you can step in them and you can step out of them. So my fourth year tutor, she wrote a paper called mind the gap. And it's a really interesting gap because if you're doing really good therapy, what you want to do is have one foot in subjectively, but the other foot out objectively. Mm. You don't want to be, you don't want to become consumed in, in the, uh, working, you still you still need to be able to sometimes step back and look at it objectively, and then go back in. Mm-hmm. And what what can happen if you're not careful? You can just you become part of the game, and then then, then the therapy doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So would you say that self awareness is like crucial? Oh yeah, the- I, I mean hundred percent. I mean, yeah. when, that's what I said to you. When who would I work with? I don't work with. It's like there's no point doing this this level of work if you're not totally committed because you're going to stop pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that. What does it look like? Cause you said to me one time that doing a deep work will kind of, um, it will be destructive. You'll lose everything. You'll lose along with your identity attachment. You will lose your home, car, status, money, wealth, um, all that. Well, you you can. I did. I mean, I mean, obviously now me, my journey. Hopefully, the idea is so you don't, so you don't, you don't do the same sort of thing that I did. But um, in a way, if you are, if you're still attached to that idea of the world, that's part of the false self. That's part of the false persona. So the idea that has to all go away in terms of for you to then really go back. You think of the phoenix rising out of the ashes, this idea of rebirth or the new person coming out. That's, but the only way you can do that is, um, so alchemy talks about um, this dissolution and mortification and then burning of the ashes and then coming from a rebirth as a phoenix. But you can only do that. You think of the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. That, uh, the, whole, uh, the whole caterpillar has to go away for the butterfly to... Uh, Come, yeah, of course. So let's talk about this. This is so interesting. So if I'm too attached to my car, which my car got stolen last year. Um, and not, I that, cried. Not, that, not that attached to it then. <laughs> well, I cried. <laughs> no, I just meant the fact it got stolen. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. So you mean like even things like that, right? Even those kind of things that you, you are highly, you know, attached it could be your clothes, it could be your home, it could be your, I don't know, material material or uh, emotional, emotional, or it could even be relationships, right? You need to kind of let go of that attachment. I know that we can 
let go and shed about the materialistic stuff, maybe. I know that a lot of people are also very scared of letting go of their... Because what does materialistic things do for us? They kind of give us the comfort. So what are we afraid of when we don't want to let go of these materialistic stuff? Secure, as you said, so security. Uh, I suppose a lot of people, it gives them meaning, possessions. What's the point of going to work if I ain't getting something for it? And immediate and uh, gratification in terms of... But the ego, a, a, a young ego craves these things, craves status, craves power, craves um, possessions. So um, that means, so that means um, would you say that letting go of the materialistic attachments are the same as letting go of the relationship attachments, maybe on a, on a root level? Well, it depends if the relationship is stopping you growing. Mm-hmm. If, you're in, if you're in a relationship which is allowing both of you to grow, well, then that's a functional relationship. So Jung talks about individuation process, but he, he says you can do the individuation process in a good, healthy relationship where yeah. you, you'll have the feminine aspect and the masculine aspect. It doesn't have to be a male or female, but just them two aspects working together, um, one reflecting the shadow, the other the other person reflecting. So in a way, you, then you, you can work together to integrate them aspects of yourself via the relationship. So it isn't always about getting rid of your relationships. What when I say about relationships, like if you have a narcissistic bond to your parent, well, then, yes, you have to go back and change that attachment to the parent. Otherwise, there's no separation. Narcissism just means fusion. You're still fused to what we call the omnipotent parental amigo, which is the fantasized version of the parent which you, you, you carry in your head yeah. so you don't fear any separation. So you're just fused to this image, this snapshot of the parent. So, you know, you, you always heard that view of women seeing their son through rose-colored glasses. That would be an example of the omnipotent yeah. version of, of the person. Okay, so let's open a window. You said um, <clears throat> when you do your growing self-work, you don't always let go of your relationships. You don't always break up. You can actually use the relationship as a container. But, I mean, wow. I mean, just kind of like just thinking about it. What needs to happen for two people to come together and you can create that container? I think this is so hard. Even the most conscious people, even the most I know so many people who's done so much work and they're actually out there coaching people. They're actually out there, got books, they have courses, they have everything, but they cannot work the relationship, the romantic relationship. They're stuck because um, the container is not there or is a false container. And sometimes they also project this out into the world, especially with the social, you know this also, like online world, there are a lot of couples on Instagram, on Facebook, where they look like they've got the perfect container for each other. They even use these words like, oh, you know, you're my container, my queen, my king. We're doing this together. All of these things, right? But, but I think from their perspective, they are because they've created this king image. It's an idolized image. It's not a person. The, the narcissist takes a snapshot of a person. It's not a person. There's no depth to it. 
It's an yeah. idolized version of the person. So when they're telling you they're, they're king, and then three months later, they're not together and they hate each other. Yes, and they go and fight. And then three months later, they're not together. But also within a week, they are with another one doing the same, repeating. So, yeah, they, so they, they found an, a new idolized snapshot okay. who they think they're gonna, who's going to fulfill them and give them all this stuff they want. Yeah, so this is this is the, the reality that we are living in now. There are couples out there who project these images of romantic relationship where they are literally influencing and also manipulating people who are believing them because there are loads of people that actually believe in these stories and then closed doors, you know, behind closed doors, these guys are eating each other up. But when the camera comes out, the camera comes out, the Instagram post has to be perfect. You know? well, we, we just had a classic example of that today with Johnny Depp lost his, lost his court case. So if, if you were to see Johnny Depp and Amber Heard in these Instagram photos, as you said, or on Hollywood red carpet, they're all smiles and hugs. But when you actually hear the level of dysfunction, yeah, the tapes between these two people is, is horrific. But this, this, this is, the again, this is a problem we have with social media and with Instagram, we're, we're creating all these false identities, these false personas, which these kids don't fully understand. They just yeah. they just want to be like them because they see the glamour and the glitz, but they don't really understand what's what's really behind the curtain. Yeah, and, and parents parents are not putting in enough boundaries, or you know, or to sit the child down and say, look, this is a fantasy, this isn't real. Mm-hmm. They're they're actually allowing them to invest in the idolized version yeah like in the past i know you and i had conversations around why some people wake up some people don't this was like this still is an ongoing uh topic for me too i never get bored of this i can just dive into it but i mean we haven't found solutions we haven't found the answer but it's just that it's an ongoing thing and i remember talking about this with you and um I, I like that you keep saying that these kids, they don't know, they are not aware that, you know, they are not capable of creating the container or they're not capable of doing that level of deep work because of the, the initial, initial um, developmental. So what, what do we have to, what do we have with these kids? We're constantly told safe spaces. So we're creating an external container yeah so we're not creating the internal container so we're just creating this internal container which is constantly being so that's what you that's what the an ego defense is to, to a degree you know we're creating this container around this fragile child who's scared and frightened and says i'm offended uh and all this so it's creating this external so in a way we we've manifested the psychological ego defense into reality now we're actually physically talking about this idea of a safe space and you can't infringe on my into my space where the problem with that is okay that sounds great but then the child the person never will able to grow the ego strength the capacity to endure the unconscious the shadow the anima when it comes comes in it would, it would just overwhelm them and then, then you said they'll end up into a, in psychosis yeah. Yeah. So let's let's go into a bit more deeper on the when people are not aware. Um there is this um there is this concept that um you know when people they really 
make themselves believe that they are doing the work. But sometimes I see this as a genuine thing. Honestly, this is genuine. Truly, honestly, this is very genuine for them. For them, this is real. Um, but then you just kind of observe them for 10 minutes and you think, oh my God, you think you're doing the work. But then I want to, why do I want to, why do I say this? I want to bring us back to your way of saying, because they don't know, they, they are not aware, not being aware. So again, you said you're, you are a narcissistic abuse, um, you know, you, this is your area, this is how you work. And you kind of mentioned that you also, you openly say that you had this narcissistic tendencies. And in my understanding, when you have these tendencies, you're not supposed to know yourself. You're, you're supposed to be completely disconnected because there is this concept out there that narcissists, they never heal because they, they there is something completely different in their wiring that they will never, ever be able to become that, deeply self-aware because something is so deep so how did you become so aware of this thing you had so that's a really good point so a massive misconception again is you can have narcissistic traits and not have narcissistic personality disorder tell us tell us about that what, what, so what the disorder is the structure mm-hmm. it's diffused fused state where you have this grandiose self fused with the omnipotent other. That's 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 the Masterson created this idea where this omnipotent grandiose self is fused psychologically with the mother, the the the, grand, the omnipotent version of the mother. So that's the structure. That is your ego structure. And that is as defended as you can imagine. So that's why it's normally impregnable. Normally you can't break into it because the narcissist thinks it's it's, it's God. Why, why does it need any advice? Why does why, why does it need any help? Why does it need to be told anything? You know, I'm oh. God. I, I know everything. So, and then you know, the structure is so um, strong, and also the way the world is to be narcissist. You work very well within this society as a narcissist. Yeah. So you said the the narcissistic structure is the one that cannot be taken apart. Well, everyone's everyone's dis- discussing about Masterson does talk about you can work with a narcissist in terms of he calls it like a free free tier where you'll reflect back what they've said, you'll talk about the defense, and then you'll talk about maybe what they can do beyond the defense. That, but it's this that continuous level of work where we have to remember the narcissist is hyper vigilant, hypersensitive, hyper everything, paranoid everything else so it's very difficult to work with in terms of as a structure so um Um, all right so there's only one person that actually came across on youtube that he had that structure very deep rooted structure and he said that he actually overcame this structure I, i think from all these years he's the only guy that i spotted he's got many videos and I need to go and find them actually. And there is one where they interview them and they ask questions like, why did you do that? Why did you do that to your wife? Why did you do that to your children? And, and he, he looks very stoic and he will tell you these horrific stories that, you know, he did this, but you know, this is when my, when I was at the height, you know, the highest peak of my uh, narcissistic structure. And, 
it's crazy how he did come down and 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 he did break himself apart and realize that it was it and um which i used to listen to him and found it incredible because that's when i thought okay so we can't do anything with this structure it's very difficult but there's obviously there's some exceptions out there who are doing it and who, are who, who was who was that do you know it was I need to go and find the name and post the link in the comments actually because it's it's a very interesting video that I watched about him. I can I can find it because it's probably on my saved list. And um yeah, I'll share it. I can't remember his name from top of my Because the one the one I know who's quite aware is Sam Vaknin. He does a lot of work on narcissism and where so he's 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 quite aware. Um but there's a massive difference between being intellectually aware a narcissist won't be aware of how the, how they impact you. Yeah. So that's the that's the thing that we cannot do with anything with. Is that what you're saying? That is the, the well, that, that that would have to mean the whole structure. So basically, in a way, with a narcissist, maybe the somatic self, the the feeling self. So if you think of if you think of the dynamic, so the child is trying to get recognition from the mother. So you can either have a mother who's over-attentive and he ends up being like a celebrity um, and lives in this grandiose world, or you get the abused child who creates this fantasized version of himself. But in the process, he cuts off his somatic self. He cuts off his feelings yeah. to survive. Yeah. So he has no idea how he impacts you, and he has no idea. He, 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 doesn't, he interprets how you're affecting him. Okay. He doesn't so, actually. He doesn't actually feel it. He, he, it's like it's like this whole false uh, interaction going on. So, can we crack open a narcissist through somatic uh, therapy, like expose them in this heavily, you know? The only time you'll see it's the only time you see a narcissism therapy is if if the stru- if they if they've run out of supply or they've collapsed. They tend a lot of them tend to collapse mid age. Mm-hmm. Where maybe their looks are not as as prevalent, or they're not as successful, or maybe there's been a divorce. Some sort of crisis may bring down the the structure. Okay. But even even then, they normally only come for therapy to create a new structure to be narcissistic again. They don't they don't yeah. want to actually do do the work. Oh my god! I, oh, I love this because um, do you know what I observed when we were doing those um retreats facilitating for psychedelics um i remember one particular member taking ayahuasca and then six months later he actually became far more smarter far more destructive far more toxic and far more narcissist well most 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 of the people who write articles in a mental health facility a lot of them not to say most a lot of them are are narcissists Wow, a lot of the lot of the um, what what they call journalists and people who write papers mm-hmm. are very narcissistic because we had two we had two three you could tell they were and they you, they they said they wanted to do it to learn how to manipulate people better. Wow, wow. So, okay, here's my interest. I want to say it again. So, if we was to get a a narcissist and direct confront him somatically when i say somatically put him in an ice bath every day for 10 minutes um make him do a dry fast make him do all these like a holotropic breath work make him do all these very very uh, strong intense somatic 
so that he can feel his body, so that he can get back into that body and crack him open somehow so some light can get in there and then slowly weave in something and then eventually, you know, that would be really interesting. I'd like to do something like uh, that. How, how do you get him into that position? Um, because they love, for example, some of the narcissistic people that I know of, they're very interested in, like, scientific, um, scientific, uh, you know, facts about um, hacking their biology or mind or you know they do these crazy things and they love all that stuff because they love the scientific things that really prove something is good for your health and keep you young imagine like tell them tell them that having ice baths every day will keep you know make you younger 10 years younger you'll look 10 years younger that might get them in yeah that that, that would be an effect i hope well you know they've done a good job with plastic surgery with getting them all in so they've convinced them all that works even though it doesn't work um, yeah. And just another thing, just to add, so you can get, you get two types and you can get an intellectual narcissist and a somatic narcissist. And, and when I say somatic narcissist, I mean one who's, who's, who gets his supply from sexual adventures mm-hmm. and body, bodily contact. And then you obviously have the intellectual, the scientific type you were talking about, who tends to have no interest in sex whatsoever. Right. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. So let's go back to the tendencies. So you say you had the tendencies. Well, I, I think if I was a fully structured narcissist, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have ended up where I ended up. And I wouldn't be talking to you right now. No, correct, correct. So, so tell me what's the difference having the tendencies and how do you work with that? Well, obviously, I think the tendencies is... Um, your a narcissist does no interjection. There's no self awareness. You, you, as I said, Sam Vatkin is the only one I can really see who has self awareness. But then I don't see what he does with his self awareness. If that makes sense, he he still sits there being this intellectual narcissist. He doesn't sort of move it on to the next sort of stage. So, yeah. um, but I think once you can notice your narcissism, that's when you can start changing it because the, the cohort was one of the uh, strong writers about narcissism. And he talks about if you see this child running around being narcissistic, this two-year-old child, and idolizing his dad, and, and so the idea you gr- you're meant to gradually neutralize the narcissism. Mm-hmm. You know, you're meant to tell the child, look, stop behaving like that, stop being this, stop being... You're gradually meant to neutralize it. That's, that's, that's what you do with a child, you know, like the terrible twos. When mm-hmm. you talk about the terrible twos and Charles acting out, trying to get attention, you are gradually meant to bring down the narcissism. With a narcissist, that's never happened. Yeah. So it yeah. hasn't been hasn't been neutralized. So for me, with the tendencies, I was able to endure therapy and group to neutralize that narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So you also said that the child it's usually it's fused through your mother. She'll go into that, maybe. What do you think? Well, you say mother. It, it can also be. It can also be the father. It just depends. Normally, it, it tends to be mother, but you you can be the father if the father's the more dominant mm-hmm. um, person in the family. My dad was probably yeah, so more the, the narcissistic element. So you and then you, the more dominant factor person is the one when you take their beliefs and ideologies on. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you think of politics, a lot of people carry on 
from their fathers ended up being the same beliefs, same things, same ideas, haven't separated psychologically in terms of, and, you know, your jobs when you see lawyers becoming lawyers becoming lawyers. That's mm -hmm. another good example of seeing that people haven't separated psychologically. Yeah. Okay. So if someone has narcissistic tendencies and say if they met another one like themselves, because usually they don't because they need to find the opposite to keep the game going, right? So, but say for whatever reason they did meet someone very similar, that's when the fires and fireworks and the chaos begins, right? I found that that also could start their awakening kind of process where they start to see themselves in the other and they realize, oh my God, I'm actually very similar too. Sure. Um, I, I'm not sure to... You can have what's called a, called a covert narcissist, which works through the overt narcissist. That's, that tends to be a classic dynamic where one, um, you think of uh, celebrities, mm -hmm. where the partner, there's one famous celebrity and the partner goes on all this stuff and, and lives through the celebrity, lives that lifestyle through the celebrity. Mm -hmm. So that they, they will sort of work in terms of, because one's a, the narcissist is seeking supply, which is idolization, recognition. So the mm -hmm. covert codependent will work. For me, what I ended up normally unconsciously picking was borderline women. So a narcissist and a borderline will work up to a certain point until one will either break down the other. You end up with this borderline dance. Yeah. Where one's the borderline will merge with you, but then withdraw. And then the, the narcissist tries trying to get the borderline back. So you end up in this to and throwing dance trying to get the supply back. Yeah. And then the borderline withdrawing and clinging. So you end up in this uh, very dysfunctional dynamic. But people can live like that forever as long as it works. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. As we're going to wrap up this conversation, I know we're going to have more episodes because this is not enough. We haven't even touched anything yet. I think we just scratched the surface, Kevin. Um, mm. Just thinking about your blog that I saw um, hold on let me just check in one thing I wanted to touch on quickly before we wrap up it is called bear with me it's here I'm just scrolling you talk about um, apologies guys just bear with me I'm scrolling because Kevin writes blogs as, <laughs> as as big as a book so his blogs are literally a book basically so you scroll scroll forever um where the change you talk about the change becomes like uh you can't afford to change basically what did you call it what was the title you called it you can't afford to change yeah it becomes like transactional so that you know when you're in that dynamic, like relationships, bonds of loyalty. There you go. Found it. Mm. What is that all about? Bonds of loyalty. So that's, um, so in a way, that's when I'm talking around the fusion between the narcissist. So in transactional analysis, we talk about the parent in a bond with the child. So I like that dynamic I said to you before where if the child expresses its true feelings, 
he believes is going to cause the parent pain. So we end up in this bond of loyalty where the child will agree not to be self-assertive, mm-hmm. not to show his, his true emotions, to keep the contact and bond with the mother in place. Yeah, not to rock the boat, not to kind of, you know, yeah. So, keep, so that, that keeps the, sense, the fragile sense of self in place, but also the, the object in place. So that's object relations as well. So the object and the self are, are tied together by this unconscious bond. Yeah, wow. And, and then, in a way, in therapy, you are working to break that bond because basically, say, if you're learning to be self-assertive and you want to express your authentic feelings, that in itself means you have to break this bond. Yeah. Which, which then means you have to sit in that place where you feel abandoned, you feel rejected, you feel like that disorientation, that confusion, which, which in a way... It's, it's similar to what, you know, the work you do and stuff like that, that sense of confusion and disorientation in terms of that, that, that version of the world, that, that reality, that bond's been broken. So you, you work uh, deep work, later work, you want to start working on them bonds of loyalty. Yeah. You have to start breaking up the child from the parent to be able to put the new parent in place, if that makes sense. Yeah, Cadell always says that about those entanglements and those relationships where especially mother and a child you know also it's it's emotional incest we don't understand it. it's actually a form of emotional incest because because the boundaries are so coerced Mm -hmm. that you know the 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 child's actually you know has been infringed on by the parent yeah so you have to break that psychological um engulfment entanglement as you said and that and that it's, yeah. it, that is as scary as hell. Yeah, that's uh, for me in simple terms. It's like cord cutting, like cut the cord, and it is. It's it's scary. Imagine like I have an older son, and we've been trying to work on that cord cutting for some time, and yeah, it feels really deep. It feels like death. It feels very horrible. It feels. It brings out a lot of like, like there are times when he needs my help and. Obviously, I want to confront this and I don't want to help him. And then when I make that decision, it feels really horrible, gut-churning, like, oh, I can't, you know. And it and also brings out a lot of shame and guilt and all these things. So, yeah, and you got to sit with that. That's the real work. And if you can't sit with that, like you said, the emotional incest or the entanglement goes on and on and on forever. But I think we must... As conscious parents, we must do that to liberate the children, right? To liberate them. Well, I think conscious parents, if they've done their work, they don't end up in these dynamics in the first place because mm-hmm. they'll, they'll be able to put healthy boundaries in place and be able to allow the child to express himself, even if it causes the mother anxiety or discomfort. The, the mother's meant to be the container. So yes. if the mother isn't the container. Where does that leave the child? That leaves the child with having to split off them emotions in, into their shadow or project them into the world. Yeah. So, and in a way, so when you break that cord, all them emotions, what have been cut off, put into the shadow, all come flooding back. I was working with someone today and he, he just was sitting in despair and yeah. he, he, he didn't want to sit in the despair. So his, so his rational mind is going at 500 miles an hour because he's trying to give himself some certainty 
to get rid of the despair. And he's, he's just coming, trying to come up with all these answers. And he, as long as one fits, that will get rid of the despair. But what, oh. we talk, what we talked about today was him being able to sit into despair, trying, oh, as you said, when, when you talk about your relationship with your son, you're not saying you just leave him and leave him, you know, it's, it's a gradual process as it's like meditating. Mm-hmm. We start with a minute, we do two minutes, we do three minutes, yeah. we do four minutes. So yeah. it's this gradual process of creating a stronger container, mm-hmm. which then they can contain the unconscious, the shadow. Yeah. And then we then we then we can work on the anima, the animus, the soul, where yeah. we can integrate the true self into our yeah. into who we are. Yeah, I mean when in my unconscious days, unconscious days, I don't know, my past life. I like calling it my past life, you know, when you're not so aware, not so self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, like, I didn't realize that I come from a lineage of women being in power. Mm-hmm. So my mom, my grandmother, you know, I come from a culture, like, our, you know, lineage ancestry is from the Mongols, you know, like that shamanic culture where women used to held the space, they held the space, they... They've taken the horses to the water. They they did everything. They, you know, the wise old sage women were at the birth of, of the tribe, you know, at the death of the, you know, it's that kind of a lineage. And um, obviously it didn't really go too well in the Western industrialized type of living. And that was my biggest aha awakening moment that I realized, oh, my God, I am channeling too much of a masculine energy because I'm doing so many things that a lot of the men wouldn't do and and probably wouldn't have the courage but I found myself in a in that dynamic and then obviously it's kind of just it opened the can of worms for me to deal with and I had to examine not just my own actions and decisions and choices but also my mom's and then my grandmother's the whole lineage and my aunties and all of that women in my family, I and I started catching them in the same same dynamic. So yeah, it was a big thing. So obviously having sons, when you come from that kind of a women dynamic, you know, that lineage, so it's very difficult to bring up a son where because your son can be, you know, see now I'm aware of all of this, but um if I wasn't, I could have easily crushed them, crushed them to the ground. Because uh, he wouldn't have no leg to stand on, seriously, among that type of women. And and looking at my dad, you know, looking at my other males, uncles and all those, it's just like, sadly, you know. And I, I, I then realized, oh, my God, this is not just my work, but this has to be a collective work. Yeah, and, and different cultures have different. So that sound that would what young would call it animal possession. So the so in a way, the men, the males have been feminized, they're they're, they're and the women have been being masculinized. But the reason why them, them cultures used to work and don't work now to a certain degree is they used to have rites of passage. They mm-hmm. used to have ceremonies where they'd send their kids out. You know, so you, just, you think of the old tribes where they send them out to the jungle for three or four days and scared of living daylights out of them. or And then and they'd have to go to their inner resources to psychologically separate from the mother. That's what it was about. It was about moving away from that fusion with the mother yeah. and the rites of passage. So Western society, we don't have any rites of passage. Yeah. Yet we t- we're constantly being told we live in this patriarchal society yeah. on, the, on the external. But internally, 
everyone's most people are still fused with their mother. They haven't gone through the Freudians, Oedipus complex and stuff like that. They're still in this infantile state dependent on the mother who end up who is who is state, who is the state, who is the government. Yeah. That's wow. what we're seeing a lot of today. It's so deep. It's primal, deep primal trauma, my goodness. And coming back to the pain, one of your favorite and most favorite favorite and most famous sayings, you gotta sit in the pain long enough. Like why don't people change? Why don't people get up and do something? They'd rather be stuck in that kind of dysfunction and, and also um, compromise their health, compromise their you know, psychology, compromise their emotions, compromise everything. Like why don't people just get up and do something, make a change? And you always say because they haven't sat in the pain long enough. The pain, the pain, the pain's not strong enough. It's not enough. Yeah. Even if you talk about all that dysfunction, it's familiar. Yeah. It's familiarity change. So the other classic state was the abuse will only the abused person will only leave the abuser when the abuser is abusing them more than they're actually abusing themselves. Wow, that's so deep. So they won't leave. Their internal abuse is so much that they'll only leave when the external abuse is more. And that's what we're seeing in society right now. And that's what this whole neurosis out there happening. Well, well because of the, the government's abuse, the government, uh, what all the stuff they're implementing isn't isn't nowhere near. It's not even shifting these people up into think you know waking up or thinking about out of a minute. Could it be something else? What else could be going on? They 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 they're just straight into their attachment. Their attachment is to please the be a good citizen, please the government. Don't ask any questions. Do as you're told, and then it's going to go away, and everything's going to be all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get stay attached to that perfect image, and uh, yeah, the good, the good parent. There's only a good yeah. parent. That, that parent can't be a bad parent. Yeah, yeah, metaphorically. That, that's, that, well, that's yeah. a borderline state. A borderline sticks to borderline only sees in black and white. Yeah. So what you're well, seeing with the neurosis, neurosis—that's what those neurosis means. It's a split in consciousness. So yeah. everything's all good or everything's all bad. So what you're saying is, is this under what's the, what's the word? Um, the unquestionable belief in authority. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, metaphorically, the only way the society will begin to question or become more wake up and become self-aware and wake up is. You said metaphorically, when the abuser is abusing them to to their limits, the pain. Or, or, or as your as your professor as professor said, there has to be a crisis. There has to be a fundamental break in the persona or the false image. Yeah. To be able to let that we talk about being enlightened, to let the, the higher consciousness, the light in, you have to be able to break. You have to be able to get into that. Solid structure was being protected. So it's all about the pain then. So without the pain, there is no no moving uh, yeah. forward, no transformation. And if we go back on what we started with, mental health is all about alleviating your suffering, not sitting in the suffering. You have to sit in the suffering and the pain to raise your consciousness. And yeah. the more the more pain you can tolerate, the bigger bigger the vessel, the bigger the container, the bigger the conscious consciousness. So the greater today I was actually quoting this great 
greatest awakenings come from greatest challenges. Mm, so, so why is it like that? Why is it like that? Why does it have to be pain before, you know? Well, if you think of how the, if the idea of the ego, if you think of this ego, it's there to protect you. It's there. It's a creation of the psyche to protect you. It mm. has to be something so significant to rattle the ego, to break it, to break it down, to shatter it, for that for that to happen. Yeah. I, d I don't think, I anything, think you can do a lot else, of work. Sorry? Yeah. Anything else won't cut it. It has to be a huge price. Well, you, hear, you hear stories of people have done it. They have individuated without the crisis. Mm -hmm. I, I yet to, I've yet to known somebody who's gone yeah. to that other side without being in crisis. Yeah, I can, I can definitely agree with you on that. I haven't met anyone who enlightened through bliss and light and love. And we also have to, what's really important as well, the other, the other misconception of enlightened. I know a lot of people who are aware, and, but they have done, they've done no psychological work. Their, their psychological structure is very fragile. And if you think of their beliefs, it's about earning money, it's about status. That's not an enlightened person. An enlightened person has no interest in them things at all. Yeah, yeah. And they need to be able to grow in courage, self-awareness to sit with despair and pain. So that would be the answer to and you have to find you have to find somebody who can sit with you in that process. And this is it, like um, going back to these indigenous tribal, you know, settings. That's what they did. You know, when people when people face like loss and pain and everything, you know, you always have someone there with you. They never they never left you, abandon you through your but, pain. But, but what they acted, what they did do. So we talk about the crisis. The rite of passage was they used to inflict the crisis. Mm -hmm. They used to they used to send you out in the forest on your own, 13, 14 year old kids trying to survive, and you know that yeah. creates the crisis in the psyche. So they were yeah. fully aware that that's that's how they did it. Then wow. you come back, then you come back. You've used your inner resources, and you're no longer dependent on your mother. Yeah, that's that's why they used to do it, but we don't do that anymore. That's why we live in this world where everyone's neurotic or narcissistic or disordered to a certain degree yeah for sure like look at the movie sparta sparta 300 mm. they sent the seven-year-olds into the wilderness right yeah that, that's the way that was their way of what they call moving away from the feminine to the masculine and when you say that we're not talking about men and women we're talking about the spiritual aspects of the feminine aspects you know the nurturing the mother the caring the soothing to the masculine the warrior the, yeah. the courageous, them, them aspects, Jung's anima and animus, them aspects, which have to be combined, hence the name of my website is called conjunctio, because the conjunctio is the union of opposites. It's the union of that feminine and masculine yeah. archetypes. Amazing. All right. So now we come to the end of our conversation. And before we leave, can we define ego, please? <laughs> it's very yeah, well I, you sort of took the question I wanted to ask you um, 
do that? Uh, yeah, because the conversation you was having with the professor, I kept asking her, what is this ego they want to dissolve? Mm-hmm. No, no. It? In the beginning of our conversation, Kadel defined ego as something, this, this energy is so powerful, it cannot be broken, destroyed, it cannot be, you know, shot at. It, it can. We cannot dissolve it. We cannot do anything with it. It's just there, and it's it's attached to this physical plane where it's like to this image in this moment. It's not even the. There is this other thing that we always talk about with them. This drive. He calls it this um, libido. Libido. Yeah, um, but this is not that. This is uh, more like uh, the force attached to this particular image of ourselves right this moment. And that we can't do anything with it, but we can work with it, that energy. See, because that's very important because in a way that's, uh, there's so many, that's the problem. There's so many different definitions. Jung would probably call that your persona. Jung Mm. would probably call that your social image, your social construct. In transactional analysis, your ego is the, is is the facilities the interplay between the super ego and the id, or the internalized parent and the child. So that the ego is a functioning apparatus, is part of your psyche, mm-hmm. which um, delays gratification, um, impulse control. Um, there's four aspects. I can't remember all of them. But basically, there's a very massive difference between what we call an infantile ego and a mature ego. Mm-hmm. So you, the, the, the ego can mature, and then then you get into Jungian and Edinger uh, theory, where when the ego is at a certain mature maturation, you can then start moving towards the self. Nice. So because mm. the ego has to be strong enough and um, big enough to contain, because the moving towards the self is when the unconscious starts coming in. Oh, I love this. Okay. The, the wow. shadow and yeah. stuff like that. So, so, what, so what, what the self is, the self in a way is the observing ego. It observes the ego. The ego never goes away. This is the miscomprehension. Of the you know if, you, if you've lost your ego, your whole function of your psyche goes, goes with it. Yeah. You end up, you end up in psychosis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I love this this last bit you said that. Um, so again, so working with the ego, we are working with the ego, and then we get to that stage where it kind of matures, maturation stage. That stage is very critical. I know what you're talking about because I know in my own process that that stage is so critical in order to hold the weight of the real awakening because otherwise I know exactly what you mean and these are the things type of things that I ponder around 3 a.m meditations where because you know they say like um sometimes sometimes you know they say that it's a there's a process that you have to go through the awakening it cannot be sudden it cannot be like you know it cannot be brought on uh, prematurely well, I think this has to do with that. Uh, Adi Shanti talks about a spontan- spontaneous mm-hmm. awakening, but then what is this? What is this awakening he's on about? Is it access to spirit? Is it at what? What is their definition of awakening? What is this awakening? Because you could end up doing what is called spiritual bypassing, 
where you're not doing any of your psychological work. You're not doing any of that psychological function. So if you think of your psychologically a people pleaser and you only see the world as good and that's how you're going to see spiritually. Yeah. And then you end up with people, you know, bliss queens and everything's great and everything's lovely. We don't have to do anything and the world's going to sort itself out, which is fantasy really. So, you know, a proper awakening also involves to changing of your psychological structure. Ken Wilber, Ken Wilber's one of the pe- few people who touches on this. He talks about it being two tiered, where it isn't just the spiritual aspect that you have, it has to be the psychological aspect as well. Yeah, yeah, I did like what he said about the more you become self-aware, you begin to feel deeper but less bothered. I really love that concept. I really love that. I think this again. Um, it would be nice to tie up with what you're saying about maturation of the ego. This is what it is. I think this is the exact thing I'm talking about because the more your ego is matured, then you are feeling deeply with the world. You're feeling the pain, the collective, the everything, but also less bothered in a way somehow. Well, the, yeah. ego, the ego is like, um, it's like a rapid dog. It wants attention. It wants recognition. It, wants, it strives towards things. That's the infantile. You think of the power, the status, the image. The more mature it gets, it doesn't need them things. In a way, you've learned to self-soothe the ego. You've earned, you've earned to give it its own, its own um, container for them impulses ain't as strong. So you sort of neutralize the impulses. So, then, so therefore, you're not as bothered. Therefore, then you have more libido, more energy to concentrate on raising your consciousness. Yeah, and that, that is the real drive right mm. there. All right. Thank you so much. What a thank great, you. great end to the conversation. So, yeah, really looking forward to bringing you back, um, Kevin, because we want to talk about other things. We haven't even touched on Borderline. We haven't even touched on anything else, but yet to come. I'm sure we'll have you again very soon. So thank you so much for all your wisdom, all your sharing and your time. Thank you. I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Great. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This was so good, right? These are the kind of conversations that needs to happen more often. And this is your hub. That's why this Facebook group is your ashram. We call it ashram, symbolically, where we come in and we really literally talk about everything, rattle cages, rattle those cages, yeah, because that's all we can do right now and really go into it deeper into the work, um, grow in self-awareness and courage be nice human beings thank you so much for tuning in drop your questions and comments for kevin and i will share his website with you guys so you can indulge in his long form blogs <laughs> that are great. Yeah, you could publish a book just with one of them all right <laughs> thanks everyone tuning out signing out thank you very much see you on the next one much love bye for now thank you Thanks.